Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. It's summer. It's heat bubble time. I greeted several people this morning with a traditional, how are you doing? It's, I think four out of seven said, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm not just tired this morning. I'm like stupid tired this morning. Yesterday, for some reason, I decided to go on a three-hour bike ride at one o'clock in the afternoon and then come home and mow my yard and hashtag 61-year-old men do stupid things. I still think they're 30. So if you're tired... Uh, lean in. You have permission to be tired, whether it's because you've worked a lot this week or because of the heat or you're, you're exhausted from laying on the beach in Florida. Yeah, I see you back there. Whatever your reason is, it's okay to be tired. Let's lean in together. So if your neighbor knocks off, hey, it's on you. You got to keep them with us this morning. I think uh, there's a commonality of moving into adulthood, growing up in adulthood, getting older. And it's this awareness of missed opportunities in our life. Um, some of y'all know I grew up on a car lot. Uh, that was our family business. And I was around mechanics and body shop technicians my whole growing up years and didn't learn one thing about cars <laughs> during all that time. It was such a missed opportunity. Sometimes I'll be working on my car and I was like, what was I thinking? You know, Carl was right there. You know, he, he could have taught me how to do this. What are some of your missed opportunities in life as you reflect on your life? Today, our journey in the Gospel of John brings us to a missed opportunity. It's a unique story in the Gospels because it's a story of healing, but one that turns tragic in some ways. It's about a man who experienced Christ. And as best as we can tell in the process, to miss God. So let's look at it. John 5, 1 to 15, I'll read from the screen this morning. It says, after this, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You know, you always went up to Jerusalem. No matter if you were going north, south, east, west, Jerusalem, you went up. Because it was Jerusalem. Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a festival, Jewish festival. In Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, is a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which has five covered porches. Here, many disabled people used to lie. The blind, lame, paralyzed people. One was a disabled man who had been there for 38 years. So there's our setting of the story right there. When Jesus saw him lying there, knowing he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the man replied, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. You may notice in your Bible, if you happen to be following along, there's a verse that's skipped that becomes a footnote. Uh, The verse is verse 4 that the footnote is, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come and stir the water, and the first in the water would be healed. We're not told if that was a real occurrence or if it was more in the category of superstition or myth. We don't, aren't really told. It was a later edition. That's why it's not in 
the text. It, it came along later and they put it in there and so it becomes a footnote in most of our translations. Just side note there. I have no one to put me in the water when the water stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And it was Sabbath. The Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is Sabbath and it is not proper for you to carry your mat. He answered, the man who made me whole said to me, pick up your mat and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick it up and walk? But the man did not know who it was, for Jesus had left without being noticed, slipping into the crowd. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, look, you have been healed. Stop sinning, or something worse may become of you. But the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that Jesus was the one who had made him well. Let's ask God to be with us richly. Lord, we invoke your presence. It's here already. Perhaps better said, give us grace to step into your presence. We're reading of a man who had a rich experience, a life-changing one, and missed so much that you had for him. Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves in the story as you would guide us. Lord, we want to not just know about you. We want to know you. We want not just to be around you. We want to be in relationship with you. We want not to just receive the gifts of your grace. We want to know firsthand what it means to live in your grace. Give us eyes to see. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give me clarity of communication. Give us clarity of response. Most of all, Lord, we pray that Christ would be seen for who He is. Lord, that's the work of Your Spirit. There's only so much we can do for that. So we ask that You would be rich, richly, richly with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 38 years. That's older than, I dare say, most of you. Uh, for a few of you, it's more than twice as old as you are. It's a long time. So imagine this guy's life. He's been in this disabled condition 38 years. Imagine the transitions of his life, the progression of his life of 38 years, not being able to walk, the limitations, the way that he views reality and life, how hope gave way to strategies, how strategies gave way to disappointments, how disappointments gave way to hopelessness. You know, there's a recent survey from Lifeway that um, I think they interviewed about 26,000 Americans and 48% of them said over the past few years they felt deep hopelessness 
in their life. And that had to be where he was. But that day, things changed for him. Five minutes earlier, he's lying there. He's watching people go about their business, wondering what that would be like. And now he's standing. He's walking. He's carrying his mat. Imagine what that must have been like for him. What would that be like for you? Some of you have experienced healing. You've experienced a major turnaround in your life, whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Do you remember? That turn, that new awareness, that release, that freedom. Imagine 38 years. And in five minutes, it's different for you. Well, as is often the case in the New Testament accounts of Jesus healing, Jesus has got more on his mind than just physical healing. There's more at play here. So I want to look at it through that prism, the more at play. I think one way to get at that, there's other ways, but one way is to look at the movements of Jesus in this narrative. Let's look at three of them. First is Christ sees this man. He sees him. Of all that he could have been watching, he's in Jerusalem. He's, he, he got away from Jerusalem, if you remember, recently, because there was a bit of a groundswell of popularity, and he wasn't, it wasn't that time for that. But he's come back. It looks like fairly uh, secretly, because we see even here he slips away. So, but he's back. For a Jewish festival, we aren't told which one. doesn't matter for this story. But Jesus sees this man. Of all the things He could have seen, He sees him. But He doesn't just see him. John's careful to tell us. And He knows him. He knows He's been in this state for 38 years. John often wants us to hear that, that God knows a person. He knows their life, their condition, their background. Jesus sees him. Anytime the Gospel says Jesus sees someone, get ready. They're telling us that for a reason. Something is about to happen. He sees him, he knows him, and he moves toward him. He approaches him the second movement is he challenges him. He, he comes to him and he asks a question. That's the form of the challenge. And what's the question? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And I think there's two ways of reading that question. Do you want to get well? One is casually. You know, it, it could have been that Jesus walks up, puts his arm around the guy, kind of squats down next to him and said, Hey, buddy. You want to get better today? How'd you like to walk today? Maybe your ship just came in. That's one way to read it. I don't think that's how it went, personally. I think it's not casual. I think it's deeply personal. Because remember, Jesus is thinking about more than His legs. Friend, you want to get better? Do you want to get well? Hear me, friend. I'm asking you, do you want what I have to offer you? Now, I'm not, I'm not implying the man 
understood who is talking to him, but I think Jesus is getting ready to go there with him. Do you want to get well? What would it have been like for him? Try to imagine yourself. What if Jesus came to you and said, asked that question to you? What, whatever might be your struggle right now. And he said, do you want to get better? I would want to be a little bit careful about how I answered that question. Like, what topic? What do you want me to address in your life? Where would you like my healing touch? I would want to think about that. Let's notice his response. Sir, he says, I have no one to help me in the pool. Every try, time I try to get in the water first, I, I guess the myth or the reality or the superstition or whatever it was, we don't know, it went like this. The first in the water got healed. He's been trying. We don't know how long. If it's been all these 38 years, he's only been hanging around in the pool a few years, we don't know. But every time he tries, he can't. He just can't roll in that pool enough. There's no one there to pick him up. And help him in. See, he's not really answering the question, is he? Do you want to get well? Jesus didn't ask him, why aren't you well? Why haven't you gotten into the pool, friend? It's not what he's asking him. He's offering something. Do you want to get well? So he gives him an excuse why he's not well. Well, if only I had someone to help me in the water. If only someone would see me. If only someone who would understand my condition, who, who would know me and take care of me. If only. And he's missing it. He's missing that the one can make him well. The one who fills in the blank of the if only is right there addressing him. The great physician is asking him this question. Do you want to get well? What if Jesus asked you that question? Jesus follows up the question. The question doesn't really work. He goes straight to a command. He's not really interested in entertaining his excuses. But neither is he going to pick him up by the arm. He speaks to him. What's he say? Get up. Get up. Stand. Get on your feet, dude. Walk. He's calling him to faith and obedience, all rolled into one, like the core, two core discipleship responses to Jesus faith, trust, confidence in him. And obedience, take him at his word and do what he says. You can't have discipleship with those two things. It's not possible. Faith and obedience. Jesus isn't interested in hearing his excuses, but he's not going to pick him up by the arm. He's calling him to faith and obedience. Get up and walk. I think it says something about Jesus right here. 
You know, he could have said after he gives his if-only answers, suit yourself. That's what you want. I mean, there's nothing in it for Jesus here. If the man walks or doesn't walk. Why is he so forceful with the command? Because he's seen him and he knows him and he loves him. He cares about his life. He's not there to put on a miracle show. If he wanted that, he would have stuck around when his popularity was growing. It's because he sees him. Did you know God sees you? We can so much think, no one knows my story. No one knows what it's like to be me. No one knows my loneliness. My isolation that I feel. My helplessness. I want to tell you, friend, Christ sees you. And He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know you. He knows this man. And He wants him to believe. He wants him to obey because in those responses, He knows there's life. There's life. He knows this man doesn't need to have big faith. He just needs to have a little. He just needs to take Jesus at His word. He doesn't need Him to have big faith because Christ has big faith. And not only does Christ have big faith, He has big authority. So He's like, dude, if you'll just like move towards Me, if you'll trust Me, if you'll obey My word, that's all you got? Like you're stupid tired? But you're still here? That's all I need. Because I've got all the faith you need. And you, you'll enter life with Me. And your faith will grow. You don't have to be great. Just trust me. And, and here's the cool part of the story. He does. Right here. He grabs his mat. He picks himself up. And he walks. Right there. What was that like? The story could have ended right here. John could have said, period, translated, wasn't that cool? Did you see what God just did? It could, it could have been a, a beautiful, simple story of Jesus healing this man, a celebration for those around him, his buddies who are also trying to get in the water. There could have been a party thrown. There, there could have been this attraction, like there could have been those around him who were saying, can I be next? Me too. Can I get that from you? The news could have spread around that big pool. It could have trickled into the city. There could have been a movement of God there. I don't think Jesus would have stopped it. But that's not how the story goes, is it? The story is now going to turn tragic. And John introduces the tragedy by saying, and oh, by the way, it was Sabbath. 
It was Sabbath. Enter the Jewish religious leaders. The Sabbath police. They're drawn in because this man is doing something that their ordinance prohibits. Not God's law, their ordinance. Mishnah Sabbath Tractate 7.2 to be precise. You can look it up. It is not right, it is not permitted to carry something from one point to another on the Sabbath. So they see this guy and they say, hey, it's Sabbath. You know better. It's not proper for you to carry your mat on Sabbath. There's just something that wells in, wells up in us, right? Like, are you kidding me? 38 years unable to walk, tired, dreaming of walking, strategizing to walk, and now he's walking, he's carrying his mat. And what are the religious leaders concerned with? It's not proper for you to carry your mat. That'd be crushing. That'd be soul crushing to him. He's not the only one missing an opportunity. And that kind of negativity, especially from leaders, is contagious. Because when they tell him it's not proper, how does he respond? Well, the man who healed me, he told me to do this. I mean, this was an opportunity for him to bear witness to what just happened. But instead, he passes the blame on why he's breaking their ordinance. He told me, I'm just doing what he said. And so then begins an inquiry from them. Who is this man who told you you could walk on the Sabbath? So here's what's happened now. This narrative has been totally reframed from a beautiful, miraculous work of God. We're not even thinking about healing now. Now we've got to have this conversation. They're on a hunt to find this man who told this guy he could walk. Here's the sad thing about it. They think they're doing the Lord's work. We're doing the Lord's work. I don't think God was cheering. Do you? So they ask him, who is this man? And he says, I don't know. I don't know who he was. He just told me to pick up my mat and walk, and I did. And that leads us to our last movement. Christ calls him to follow. He calls him into discipleship. This is my favorite phrase in the narrative. Later, Jesus finds him in the temple. He finds him. He's still looking. He slipped off from the crown. It appears Jesus has like moved on, right? He's unnoticed. Later, Jesus finds him. I wonder how long it took him to find him. We don't know. 
And he approaches him. He says, look, man, look, you've been healed. You've been healed. I've healed you. Notice what he says next. Stop sinning or something worse may become of you. Stop sinning. That, that is his call to discipleship right there. Jesus isn't pulling any punches. Stop sinning. It begs the question, what's the guy doing? Well, we don't really know. I don't think he means stop walking around with your mat on Sabbath. I doubt it. I suspect what's behind the question is you're missing it. You're missing it. You don't even know who healed you. Did you not think about what was going on? What could be worse? He says, something worse may become of you. What's worse than 38 years of being disabled? Being healed and missing God. That's what's worse. Being healed and missing the healer. Going about your way, just glad that you got healed. That's worse. How long were those legs going to stay strong for him? A year? Five years? Twenty? Thirty? You know what? Those legs were going to wear out. They were going to wither up. They are going to die. And if he's missed God, now he has to deal with that the missed opportunity he had to experience life in Jesus that day. If he misses God, now in eternity he has a haunting memory. A life eternally separated from God. That's a whole lot worse than 38 years on your mat. So what do we learn from this story? Well, there's a lot. The Spirit may guide you into lessons that I wouldn't know about, but I want to give you four ways we can miss God that I think we see in this story. So here they are. First of all, we miss God when we substitute being around God with being with God. It's one thing to be around. It's one thing to be in community, to have friendships with people who are with God. But like this man, we can be in God's presence and miss Him. We can have friends who are with God. We can be sharing life with people who are with God and miss God. God wants to be wanted. He doesn't pick him up by the arm. He calls him to follow, to be with him. Jesus once said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. He said, knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will be fine. Ask and it will be given. God wants to be wanted. He's given each of us a will to ask. So it comes back to the question, what do you want? What if Christ is asking you, what do you want? 
Do you want God? Prophet Jeremiah, quoting God, said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what Jesus wanted for this man. And then he says, call to me and I will answer you. And I'll tell you great and unsearchable things you can't know on your own. We miss God when we substitute being around Him with being with Him. Are you with Him? Do you know Him? Secondly, we miss God when we settle for God's gifts and reject Him. This man's life changed that day. But we don't have a clear indicator whether he really entered life with Christ that day. It appears not. Because it requires a decision. Not just to receive the perks. Not just to enjoy community or being around. It enjoys saying, yes. I will follow Christ. No one oops their way into life with God. God's given us a will, and we have to exercise the will. It requires a decision. John wrote, for God so loved the world. You can put your name in there. For God so loved you that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him will have life. It takes faith and obedience. That's what believe means. So we miss God when we settle for His perks. In this case, healing. But reject Him. Third, we miss God when we focus on religion and not relationship. That's where the Jewish authorities are our teacher. They were religious people. They knew how to be religious. They knew how to behave religiously. They knew how to follow the law, the code. And they miss God. Completely. They couldn't have missed him more in this story. They should have been the ones throwing the party. But they missed it. When our aim is acting like we know God, doing spiritual religious things, praying, fasting, going to church, reading our Bible, but we're not with Christ, when we're in our most private, personal level, we don't have a relationship with Him, that other stuff doesn't help us. It won't help you. No one oops their way into the kingdom of God. We come through surrender of our lives before Him. We come through faith and obedience. We miss God when we focus on religion. There's nothing wrong with religion. But it is not the same as relationship with God. God wants to have a relationship with you. He sees you. He knows you. He wants a relationship with you. Finally, and this is the main point of the story, I think. We miss God when we refuse to take responsibility for our life with Him. That's the question again. Do you want to get well? At the end of the story, the man walks away. It's so telling, isn't it? Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse may become of you. 
And where John says, and he walks away and goes and reports Jesus to the authorities. He's still not taking responsibility. He, he's missed about three times an opportunity to say, I don't know who he is, but I just want to tell you, he did this for me, and this is the greatest day of my life. And I'm going to go find him now. I'm going to go look for him. Here, you hold my mat. I'll go look for him. That's how the story could have gone. How the story we wish it would have gone. We have to take personal responsibility. Each of us has to take personal responsibility for our life with God. No one else can do it for you. You don't get it by osmosis. You only step into it through decision. Now God's involved. He sees you. He knows you. His Spirit will guide you and invite you and draw you in relationship with Him. But you have to say yes. That's the point of a story. You know, you can come up with hundreds of reasons to not follow Christ. Hundreds of reasons to not trust your life with Christ. He demands that you deny yourself. He demands that you take up your cross and follow Him. That looks too hard. Your friends and family might think you're off, you're wrong, you're fanatic, or you're crazy. You don't want them to think that you're crazy. You may not get to pursue the goals that you've built for your life that serve your kingdom, your ambitions, your desires. You've constructed them carefully and you don't want to give up those goals. If you follow Him, you'll have to relinquish being the master of your life. You don't get to call the shots of your life anymore. He does. You don't want to do that. You want to run your own life. He may ask you to do things you don't want to do. You don't want to do things you don't want to do. Believing in Him might be different than how you were raised. The fear of dishonoring your parents means more to you than honoring God. Christians don't always get it right. There's a reason. Sometimes Christians do stupid things. They sin. They make mistakes. Sometimes they're even hypocrites. They say one thing and do another. You don't want someone to think you're a hypocrite. You prefer to look cool to others than to trust your life to Christ. The church doesn't always get it right. They don't always do things very well. And you're too proud to be around such imperfect people. It's going to inconvenience you from living the life you want. You want God on, his ter on your terms, not on His terms. You want the faith, but not the obedience. Your boyfriend or girlfriend might break up with you if you follow Christ. Your relationship with your significant other is more important to you than your relationship with God. We could go on. There's hundreds of reasons not to follow Him with your life. And there's one reason to follow Him with your life. It's because Jesus is God. He alone is the only one good, safe, trustworthy, and able to keep your soul. Hear me. Listen to me. He is the only way. He's the only truth and the only life. He is God who came in the flesh. If that's mysterious to you, join the boat. It's mysterious to all of us. But we believe it because He has seen us 
and He knows us, and He's reached out to us, and we've said yes. He is the only way to enter into relationship with God. There is no other way. He alone offers what no one else can give you. Life. Life that's eternal. Life that will outlast your legs. When your body withers and dies, and it will. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be 50 years from now. You don't know. You have no guarantees of tomorrow. There's one life guarantee, and His name is Jesus. He's the only safe and sure one who can give you life. He can bear the weight of your life, your hopelessness, your sorrow, your sadness, your ambitions. He can bear the weight of it. In fact, He has on the cross. He bore the weight of your life and all that comes with it. And He made a way for you to enter life. Friend, don't miss it. It's the opportunity given you. Don't miss it. Jesus once said, the one who loves his life will lose it. But the one who hates his life in comparison to me, he will gain it. Whoever serves me, he said, must follow me. And wherever I am, there he will be, my servant or she will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Life may be hard following Jesus. It often is. But we live with this hope of abundance. And we live with the hope of one day standing in the presence physically of God and hearing Him say, Enter my kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. You don't have to have big faith. You just have to have a little. Because the one who bore your sin has really big faith. And he has the power and the authority to give you life. The man in our story had opportunity to do that. It appears he missed it. Don't be that guy. Don't miss God, I beg you. Don't miss Him. There's too much at stake for your soul, your life, your eternity. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Lord, many of us are, are recalling when You invited us and how we had our reasons to not follow You. They were... They made sense to us. Some of them were very compelling. The cost of following you looked ridiculously difficult and inconvenient, perhaps. But Lord, somehow we found just a little bit of faith. Just enough just to get up and pick up our mat. We found just enough to hold onto you to take your hand knowing that you were our safe and sure guarantee into life. Knowing that you bore the weight of us. Our iniquity, our sin, our brokenness, our questions, our hopes, our dreams. You said, I will take that 
And I will do more with them. I will forgive your sin. I will make the hard things and maybe not completely erase the pain of the, in this life, but I'll make them something new. I'll make them a trophy of my grace in your life. I'll give you community. I'll give you family. I'll give you fellowship with the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'll do more in you and through them than you can possibly imagine. Because the life I have for you is flourishing. It's abundant. It may not be easy. But it's pure life. Life that lives in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the life He has to invite us into. Lord, give us that courage that we once had to exercise to say, yes. Yes, I want that life. If I'm praying and, and this is landing home for you, only the Holy Spirit can draw you into life, not my words. I'm just the messenger. But the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart and say, today is the day. Pick up your mat and walk. Trust me. Pledge your obedience to me. He knows you're not going to do it perfectly. He's not worried about that. He wants relationship with you. He wants to become your father in a way that you've never experienced. You may still have questions that you need to do business with. All I want you to hear today is don't miss God. If it's today, pick up the mat today and walk. I'm going to stay on the front row here and invite you come pray with me if that's you today's your day come walk it's hard i know getting up and walking in front of a group of people that might be the first hard thing he calls you to do do it it's a small thing compared to meeting life having eternal life with him the first step will be the hardest after that he'll take it i'll pray with you this morning you may just have questions I'd love to pray with you. If more people come than I can handle, then I'll invite others just to come up here and pray with people who come. It doesn't have to be me. So Father, give us courage to say yes. We know this message is just not for those who've never stepped into the kingdom. It's perhaps especially for them. But we also know we can miss you for some of the same reasons. Even as your child, we get our eyes off Jesus and we get them on all kinds of things, whether it's our own stuff or stuff in the world or whatever. Lord, we're all guilty of it. Call us afresh and anew into relationship, abiding with Jesus today. We need courage too. Help us to get up. Take responsibility for our lives. We may not get all our questions answered, but say yes to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to respond to God this morning.